electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you a little money, and it ain't easy right now. My job is not just to put it in perspective, but I also try to entertain and, of course, educate you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. They're back. The 2008ers are back. The money managers who think this market looks just like that cataclysmic period where the averages lost more than half their value. There's a big contingent of these bears who think we've got no way to win. If the Fed tightens too much to beat inflation, then we go into a severe recession. If the Fed tightens too little, we're stuck with persistent rampant inflation. Neither is good for stocks. One reason you get days like today where the Dow shed 163 points, the S&P tumbled 0.9%, and the Nasdaq plunged 1.49%. Sell, sell, sell. After starting strong, it morphed into a horrific day. So, I've been thinking about it. I'm sure you're thinking about it. Why not sell everything? Because that analogy, that 2008 analogy, it's bogus. 2022 has very little in common with 2008, when the whole financial system nearly collapsed and the unemployment rate ultimately shot up to 10%. We're below four now. I can recall many other times where the Fed raised interest rates, and we were ultimately just fine, not initially. Sometimes we saw a big shift out of risky stocks, especially tech and biotech, as investors swapped into more consistent, boring stocks. Hardly the end of the world. And you know what? That's kind of what I see happening right now. There's a huge chasm between the boring companies with inexpensive stocks, companies that make things and sell them at a profit while returning capital. You know how much we like them. I talk about it all the time in the investing club. The conceptual companies... Uh, they, they don't do any of that. And frankly, the conceptual companies 
I want nothing to do with them. Sell, 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 sell. For over a year now, money's been rotating from the speculative conceptual stocks into the boring tangible ones. There's been plenty of winners during the period. We highlighted them all last week. It's just that individual winners don't matter if you only trade the S&P 500, like many of these bearish commentators, because they don't want to get their hands dirty with individual stocks. Of course, if you're going to go own the entire S&P 500, you should just own it for the long haul. Rather than trying to trade in and out, you might miss one of those three or four big days where the rallies occur. There are very few times I'd recommend abandoning the entire market, but I did in October of 2008 before telling you to get back in about 40% lower. But a lot of people didn't swap back in, and they missed out on a tremendous multi-year rebound. It was dangerous the other way. Unless we're looking at the collapse of the entire financial system, though, there's no reason to bail on everything. And again, this moment is not 2008. First off, in 2008, the consumer was vastly overextended. They were gambling on houses with borrowed money that didn't have any no way they could ever make the down payments while Wall Street packaged these mortgage bets and wrapped futures contracts into them. You simply couldn't unwind these mortgage-backed securities because they were all synthetic. There wasn't anything in there. And that's what really wrecked the financial system. Second, the amount of money at risk in 2008 was gigantic, far larger than the system could handle until something even bigger, the Fed, finally saved the day. Third, almost no one avoided the financial apocalypse back then. Every big player got hurt. Most of them went out of business. They all had to be bailed out in one form or another, although some claim they never needed any help. Yeah, sure. Nothing like that's happening now. The consumer's flush. You can handle higher interest rates, even much higher ones. The banks are incredibly well capitalized. I believe that. In fact, our toughest problem right now is that the economy is too stable, and the Fed might need to destabilize things to tamp down on, on inflation. No, I actually know they have to destabilize, and that's what's freaking people out. But even if they keep raising rates aggressively, it won't cause a 2008 situation. Because in 2008, there was what we call balance sheet risk, systemic balance sheet risk everywhere. Hedge funds, banks, in the end, even the mutual funds with the breaking of the buck. This time, that risk is almost non-existent in the traditional financial system. There are risks. But not like back then. In 2008, we had a total vacuum in Washington. They were fools, including the Fed. Here we have a Fed that's learned from 2008. We have a smart Treasury Secretary who's been through hell and back. In 2008, companies didn't have, a, didn't have credit lines. Or, or they were taken away. People didn't trust anyone's word. These days, we don't use words. We got rid of that. We had no dock loans back then. Now everything's docked. The rogue financial companies are almost all gone. They haven't repl- really been replaced by anything outside of the cryptocurrency ecosystem, but that's much less tied to the real economy, even though I'm going to say it again. I think the Grim Reaper's coming for that group. So can we please take 2008 off the table and replace it with a better allergy, analogy? Allergy. I like that too, but let's call it analogy. Let me put it this way. In 2008, we were devastated by falling housing prices and constant layoffs. Now, though, we're eager for falling housing prices and mass layoffs because that's how the Fed can win its war against inflation. That can only happen if we see firings, mass firings. I know, whoever wishes for that. But the good news is, if we can be considered good news, is that we're likely to get real relief after the new year when I'm betting we'll see big firings in retail and, yes, Enterprise software, where many companies are hanging on by a thread. Fintech, too, for that matter. Ultimately, what we want to see is unemployment rise to a decent range of 4 to 5%. Because at that point, people don't have enough money to fuel price increases all over the place. We want to surf out of talent, too, so that people are actually looking for jobs uh, that don't exist. 
rather than employers looking for people who don't exist. This is important. Remember, people are willing to job hop. People are willing to pay more than we ever thought they would pay up. My wife was sending me some picture. This way, after it was like some sort of like avocado thing. And she says, can you believe the price? Kindly, I, 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 all I could say was, yeah, that's really high because I had no idea what she was talking about. But that's all right. That's all right, too. Anyway, you could ask, do we want genuine misery? I come back and say the misery's inevitable. The Federal Reserve will keep bringing the pain until we get inflation under control. I just want that to happen sooner rather than later. The sooner we get inflation under control, the less pain we'll need to experience over the long haul. And I do believe that will happen. You know what really annoys me, though? In order to have the 2008 scenario, you need to have complete stooges as our leaders. People are so dumb they don't remember what happened 14 years ago. That's clearly not the case now. When the economy slowed dramatically after COVID hit in 2020, J-PAL quickly moved to limit the damage. Not other, many other countries didn't. In the financial crisis, the Fed did nothing as a matter of principle until it was almost too late. Powell's a very smart guy. So what if he was a few months late already with the initial rate hikes? He was worried about the Omicron variant. He couldn't have possibly known it would be more benign and strange than we expected. Last year at this time, what were you doing? I know what I was doing. I was fearing the benign Omicron because I thought it was far worse than what we were experiencing. I think Powell is a great central banker, and I think he's a great leader. Look at the people running governments all over the world. you got some real clown show situations. Hey, China's supposedly taking over the world, right? Yet their government's been a complete joke on COVID. They told their people it was incredibly dangerous. So they had to stay home. Then they said they had great vaccines and refused to use the more effective mRNA vaccines developed in the West. They insisted on locking down huge swaths of the country because they told you, look, you could die for this thing. Uh, and then uh, they did it for far longer than anybody else. And then what they said was, hey, you know what? It's fine. Then people couldn't take it anymore. The Chinese government unleashed their whole population, said it's all good. And now they're getting COVID left and right because they never bothered to get the good vaccines. By comparison, frankly, I think Jay Powell's a genius. He absolutely knows what he's doing. His biggest problem is that China and Russia are run by irrational strongmen. Russia started a war they couldn't win, but they could cause rapid inflation in the rest of the world by causing shortages of food and oil. Nobody could have predicted Putin would be this crazy, but that's beyond the Fed's control. Here's the bottom line. If I thought Jay Powell was a total bozo, I wouldn't be, right now, I would be terrified but he's one of the best central bankers in the world, and he's got a winning hand. Would you please just let him play it? Let's go to Chad in Tennessee. Chad. Booyah from Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. My two kids. Lookout Mountain. I've been to Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. It's gorgeous. I'm glad you love it. I'm glad you love it. It's a really pretty place. It's a really pretty place. Thank you. Thank you. So my two kids, uh, Chapman and Mim, each want to make the case for our favorite stock, Aries Capital, ticker ARCC with a 10% dividend yield. Aries Capital is down over 25% on fears of a recession. Their portfolio companies are in defensive industries and have an average EBIT of $180 million. 70% debt is senior and secured. Aries yeah, but, credit oh, performance oh, oh. has a loss rate of less than 10 basis points. 87% of loans are at floating rates, so a 200 basis point increase in interest rates would add 51 cents to EPS. Aries Capital, giddy up. Whew. I got a Chad and company. I mean, that is one. I'd love to say they got horse sense. I, I don't, see, I'm torn right here. Right now, you're seeing a, a TV host who's torn. 
Did you ever, ever say that kids don't know? There's a guy named Mark Linkletter. You say kids say the darnest things. I tell you, I'm not a fan of Aries Capital, and I cannot be persuaded because I don't know what they really own, and that's the problem. But, boy, do I love kids who have horse sense enough to call in. I guess I'm just stuck by the fact that I wish I knew more about what's really going on at Aries Capital. Now we're going to go to Mike in California. Mike! Booyah, Jim, from Ojai, California. Oh, hi. How hey, are I you? Uh, doing well. How are you, Jim? All right. Why did you want to do that? Great. What's going on? Hey, I had a question about um, a stock here that was up in the mid-300s uh, late last year. And with all the uh, uncertainty with Bankman Freed and crypto, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Coinbase. Well, I do think I follow this guy, John Starks. He, he's a he's a fabulous follower on Twitter. He used to be with uh, enforcement with the SEC for uh, 18 years. And, and John's been saying in his Twitter that you, basically there's going to be a big sweep coming where the SEC may just crack down on everybody that is not following the rules. And I think that that even if Coinbase exactly follows the rules, it's going to be swept. It could be swept it up by the sweep up. And that's why I cannot advocate owning Coinbase. All right, look. Let's call it as it is. Powell's one of the best central bankers in the world. He's got a winning hand, ultimately. Look, right now, though, he's going to augment it, though. All right? Let him play it! Well, man, buddy, tonight, last week we started covering the top sectors of 2022, and we liked it so much, we figured we'd just keep going with the remaining stocks. We're taking a look at the top material stocks and giving you big three for next year. Then, after last week's insane action, should investors keep their hopes alive for a Santa Claus rally, or is it chimerical. I'm going off the charts to find out, and it might still be in the cards. Oh, yeah, and you called in and you stopped me with that lightweight logic. So tonight, I'm turning in my homework on the stock and a couple others. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With just two weeks left until we close the books on this miserable year of 2022, we need to spend some time looking back on the best performing stocks in what's been a very bad year for the market. I spent last week telling you about the winners and strongest sectors. I talked about uh, the energy stocks, the utilities, consumer staples, healthcare, and the industrials. This week, we're going to do something a little different because I want to highlight the best performing stocks in the worst performing sectors. Why? Because even the weakest of these groups have some winners that manage to buck the overall trend, and it's important to figure out if they can keep doing what they did in 2023. Why don't we go in descending order? So tonight we're looking at the sixth best performing sector in the S&P 500, and that's the material space, down more than 14% for the year. While that's a few points worse than Dow Jones Industrial Average, it's still about five percentage points uh, better than the broader S&P 500. Even if the material stocks aren't winners in absolute terms, they're still relative outperformers. Although I know that's not much to say much in a hideous year. Damn, it's such a hideous year. Now, the trajectory of the material sector is interesting because it shows you just where the narrative changed this year. At the beginning of the year, we were worried about inflation being out of control. Remember, very good for companies to make raw materials because it means they're jacking up prices left and right. Jacking them up like every month, sometimes every week. But somewhere in the late spring or early summer, Wall Street realized the Federal Reserve was going to keep raising rates relentlessly, slamming the brakes in the economy and bringing the pain to the material stocks. This is a highly cyclical group, meaning these companies do very badly in a Fed-mandated recession. That's why the material stocks immediately started rolling over, trending much lower or for months. You know, look at this. Wow. Although they've rebounded a good bit since their September lows, and we did predict... Well, I should say Larry Williams did predict we could have this bit of a run, but things got pretty choppy here, right? That said, not all commodities are created equal. Some are more equal than others. When you look at the full spectrum of the the material stocks, the biggest winner, CF Industries, that's Charlie Frank Industries, is up 31% for the year, while the biggest loser, Ball Corp, which makes cans, is down more than 47%. The top three are CF Industries, Corteva, and Nucor, two ag plays and a steel maker. Let's take them one by one. CF Industries is a fertilizer play. I've told you over and over again that 2022 would be a booming year for agriculture, especially after Russia invaded Ukraine, the breadbasket of Europe, creating global food shortages, heading to much higher prices. Farmers and the rest of the world invested heavily to capture those prices. The Western fertilizer companies got an extra boost because potash is a major ingredient in much of the world's, I should say, potash. People say it one way, say tomato, tomato. Potash comes from Russia and Belarus, both of which are now under heavy sanctions, causing prices to soar to the stratosphere. However, while the fertilizer stocks have had a terrific run this year, my view is that this is a short-term 
trade at best. In fact, I told you to ring the register of the group in late March because they'd already run so much on the Russian invasion. Sure enough, CF Industries was trading $100 back then. Now it's at $92 and change. Not, not that bad. At the end of the day, if you buy the fertilizer stocks, which also include Mosaic, the fourth best performing material stock in the S&P, you're only betting on a prolonged war in Ukraine. I don't think that's a good bet given that the Russians are getting their heads handed to them. And even if the war continues, you'll be up against much more difficult comparisons next year, making stocks like CF Industries look a lot less attractive. I'm not putting my neck out on the line on this one. In second place, we've got another ag play, Corteva, which makes seeds and agricultural chemicals like pesticides. This is one of the three companies created by Dow DuPont breakup that was completed back in 2019. I like it a lot. Uh, I like it a lot more than the fertilizer place. Why? Because while Corteva saw a big jump in sales and earnings this year, those numbers are expected to stay strong in the years ahead. Their products aren't like fertilizer, where the prices have been artificially elevated by the sanctions on Russia. After a year of strong crop prices, farmers will be flushed with cash. And when they get cash, they invest in more efficient farming. Think Corteva's genetically modified seeds or pesticides. While most crops are well off their highs at this point, they're still up big versus where they were a year ago. Plus, even though the stock's up 23% for the year, it still sells for less than 19 times next year's earnings estimates. Far from expensive. I like Corteva. You got my blessing to buy this one on a pullback. Uh, is it better than Deer? Well, let's just say Deer's got some... I like Deer a lot. Uh, Deer's been pulling back harder than this one. Finally, there's Nucor. Now, this is one that I've told you many times is the best steelmaker in America, with a stock that's up more than 15% for the year. Here's a company that had monster earnings growth last year as the global economy reopened. So Wall Street figured the numbers had to come down in 2022. That's why Nucor stock plunged from 187 at their peak in April to 100 and change in early July. With the Fed tightening aggressively, everybody assumed this business had to be in trouble. Look at that decline. Yeah, Nucor kept putting up great numbers, and now it's certain that they're going to have it up here. That wasn't expected at all. That said, last Thursday, the company pre-announced earnings for the fourth quarter, and the numbers came in a tad light, causing the stock to tumble nearly 10% in a single session. Now, I'm feeling a little bit of deja vu here because it feels like we're in the same place we were late last year. The analysts expect Nucor's earnings to fall to $12 and change next year from $28 and change this year. If that happens, yes, indeed, the stock will get clobbered. That's that 20, 2008 scenario that I talked about at the top of the show. But remember, a year ago, the analysts thought Nucar could only make $16 in 2022, and they ended up trouncing those estimates. I wouldn't be surprised if they put on a repeat performance, especially because Nucor is going to be a huge beneficiary of the big infrastructure bill that should start really kicking in next year. That's going to be major for this company. Beyond the top three performers, I like Albemarle, Lindy, and DuPont. Albemarle is a commodity chemical uh, company, but it's got a big lithium kicker. Cheap stock that sells for less than 10 times next year's earnings estimates. Lithium is an essential ingredient in electric vehicles, which the auto industry is fully embraced at this point. But that's caused all the lithium stocks to soar. At this point, I think the much cheaper Albemarle is the only safe way left to play the group. Next up, there's Lindy, L-I-N-D-E, an industrial gas company we own for the charitable trust. And talking about constantly, had a big talk about it last Thursday's meeting. It's online. You can get it. Lindy's a consistent operator that keeps putting up fantastic numbers. Plus, Lindy benefits from both the climate provisions and the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. I say that because, to me, it seems more like a, I don't know, a climate bill. And the semiconductor sub- subsidies in the CHIPS Act. For example, Taiwan Semiconductor is now building a new plant in Arizona, and Lindy's building a $600 million gas plant to service it. Last but not least, there's DuPont itself, the specialty chemical kingpin that's sitting on a mountain of cash. 
I am a big believer in CEO Ed Breen, who's made a fortune for his investors when he broke up the old Tyco International, and I bet he can do it again with DuPont. Plenty of optionality there, a lot of cash. Here's the bottom line. When you look at the best performing material stocks for 2022, I'm not thrilled about CF Industries or the other fertilizer plays, but I like Corteva as a higher quality agriculture stock, and I very much like Nucor, the best of breed steelmaker. Remember, many strategists think we're going into a harsh recession. If that doesn't happen, these stocks, particularly these stocks, are great places to be. Man Money is back after the break. Coming up, Santa Claus is coming to town, but not when you think. Kramer reveals when sleigh bells could ring for your portfolio. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. After last week's brutal meltdown, is there any hope for a Santa Claus rally over the next couple of weeks? Historically, this tends to be the most wonderful time of the year for stocks. After today, you got to wonder about that, right? Last week, the Fed, Fed slammed us right with a statement that left a lot of investors shaken. Worrying that J-Pal will keep tightening aggressively even as the economy slows down dramatically. That's what I talked about at the top of the show. Now I want to talk about it again, but in a different way. I'm surprised that people are so shocked. I didn't think the Fed meeting was all that revelatory. And the economy's been pretty robust. So if it really does take a beating, I figure Powell will just change his strategy. Let's get back to the Santa Claus rally, though. There's now a widespread sense of doom and gloom as that Wall Street's only getting lumps of coal this Christmas. But you know what? This kind of negativity is exactly the kind of setup you need before a nice bounce. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. He's the legendary technician and market historian who's been the top expert in the space since I was a little kid. Larry's written over a dozen books and created a host of his own proprietary technical indicators, which we use all the time. And you can find a lot of them. Well, you find everything. If you just went to this website called IReallyTrade.com. More important, he nailed the COVID bottom in April of 2020 when practically every other expert still thought the sky was falling. And his recent track record has been very impressive, including the run-up and then recently saying that, that December would be choppy. But Williams now remains adamant that the Christmas rally is one of the most consistent seasonal patterns out there. Once you look at the data, it's crystal clear that Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, for him, it's only a question of when, not if. Listen to this. If you purchase the S&P 500 E-mini futures on December 22nd or December 23rd using an $1,800 stop-loss order, then held for five days before selling into the first profitable opening, you would have had 21 workable trades, and all of them were profitable. Every single one. According to Williams, the key here is to look at the calendar and identify the seasonal sweet spot. Based on the historical data, he usually finds it, it, between, it falls between the 22nd or the 23rd, which, you know, I mean, I'm looking at this, it's like, oh, any day now. Okay, so take a look at the daily chart at the action, the S&P futures, uh, in the, uh, for the last December. The blue line at the bottom shows you Larry's seasonal forecast, all right? 
you can see the best buying opportunities come in mid to late December. And this Santa Claus rally tends to last through January 10. Sure enough, last year we got a nice run from December 20th through the end of the year, even as the overall market was very much in bear, bear mode. So what's it looking like this year? All right, check out the daily chart of the S&P futures once again with the seasonal pattern down in blue at the bottom. As you can see, we've just entered the seasonal sweet spot, and William says that if history's any guide, then Thursday would be the ideal moment to buy ahead of a potential Christmas holiday. Yeah, I know after today's brutal day, you're thinking, oh, that's years away. But it, it isn't. It's actually just a couple of days away. I know it's hard to believe that the market is ready to run, but that's how it always is with Larry's calls. Although it's possible this year will be different historically, betting against him has been a real bad strategy. Of course, it's not just the seasonal patterns making him feel more bullish here. There's a lot going on right now that makes Williams believe the market might be ready to bottom. Boy, it sure doesn't feel like that. Why does he feel this way? Well, first, take a look at the chart of the Consumer Price Index for all urban consumers. This is going all the way back to 1960. Okay? I mean, so we're really talking about some real history. For the past year, we've been hammered by high inflation, right? Because the Fed's not going to stop raising interest rates until it gets these price price increases under control. But as William points out, inflation's now peaked. It's very clear from the most recent data. And as you can see from this chart, when inflation peaks, it really peaks. Look at this, huh? There's no fake out. It peaks and then it falls, falls hard. If it's any guy, it usually takes a couple of years at most to get back to, mu- to much lower levels. Even in the 60s and 70s, when the Fed was much less aggressive about maintaining price stability, once inflation beat, it came down rapidly. This was really horrible days, and I lived through and traded right through here. And it was like, you know, God, this is, we thought right here was never going to end. We thought right here was going to go to here. So you have to understand. We've been through this most. We've been through this, and it's not just 2008 like everybody keeps talking about. Next, check out the chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average in black, going back to 2003 this time, with the rate of inflation inverted in red. In other words, inflation is upside down in this chart because Williams wants to highlight the relationship. The lowest levels for the red line represent moments when inflation peaked. As you can see, inflation tends to peak right when the stock market's bottoming. Okay? You can see it's bottoming. And I think it's really important. Now, these are smaller cases. This is a big one. But uh, if you don't remember, we we did have brutal inflation in 2008, especially in energy, right before the whole economy collapsed, thanks to the financial crisis. Now that inflation is finally moving in the right direction, Williams thinks the stock market can turn things around. Remember, in 2008, that's the operative thing that people are talking about. I think that that's not necessarily the right analog. Last but not least, take a gander at the chart of the Dow going back to 2020. You see the blue line? This is the correlation of years in the past that best fit the Dow's recent pattern. Now, he's trying to identify patterns to see which ones are like now. It's a two-year cycle. While Williams isn't a fan of short-term algorithms, he likes coming up with cyclical forecasts based on two to four years and based on the years that look most like what we're in now, 2022. His forecast for the Dow is very bullish. As he sees, remember, we're talking about the Dow. As he sees it, Last week simply shook out the weak hands, and next year is likely to be terrific. I, I think, yes, that also that today shook out some weak, weak hands, too. Here's the bottom line. The charts interpreted by Larry Williams suggest that the Christmas is not going to be canceled for Wall Street. He thinks we still have a Santa Claus rally coming, and the ideal time to buy is sometime around this Thursday. More important, now that inflation appears to have peaked, he's feeling a lot more bullish about the long-term prospects of the broader market. Maybe I'm wearing rose-colored glasses here, but the statistics convince me that Larry's going to be right. 
Let's take some phone calls. Let's start with Ram in California. Ram. Jim. This is Ram in California. I'm a club member. Hi, Ram. Thanks and I want to for thank calling. you for that wonderful conference call last week. Oh, thank you. And, and, and Ram is referring to the conference call that we did for the, for the uh, Chapel Trust. And yeah. I think that I got a lot of good comments on it. I thank you very much. What's going on? So, Jim, I want to talk with you about a fairly large position that I have in Ford. Now, I've been okay. so excited about Ford's EV transition and their shift to selling vehicles directly to consumers, you know, so much so that I went out and wanted to experience it for myself. So I put an order for one of their new Mach-E electric vehicles. Sure. But Jim, I've got to tell you that Ford has failed me at almost every point in the process, at even the most basic tasks of customer service and delivery. And I feel like I've just lost confidence in them and their ability to execute. You know, okay, so much well, so that look. I went out and bought a Tesla instead, and it was just so much better. Now, Ford. Fair enough. Now, Jim, I know that you always say that when facts change, you have to change with them. So with that in but, mind, I want to be But maybe your ramp, maybe your situation is anecdotal. Uh, I'm sorry, first of all, to hear that that's the case. Uh, second, I'm sure that Ford Service would love to hear about that, and uh, I'm not going to let it die. Uh, I hear what you say, and I think we ourselves will get information and refer what's happened to Ford Service because I don't think that that's exactly how Jim Farley wants his company to be run. I want to be sure it's the case. I thank you for the kind comments about this about the. Um, about a conference call, but I need to know more myself. Let's go to Alec in Massachusetts. Alec. Hey, booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Booyah. What's hey, up? I'm looking at uh, service now. Uh, just wondering if you would trade it or fade it from this level. Well, you know, we're, we're not in the trade and fade for service now. We want to take a longer term view, which would mean buying some now and buying some, let's say, if it went down a little more and down a little more. We're not traders on Mad Money, we're believers. And we believe in Bill McDermott and believe in service now, but we also believe that the stock could be high at this very moment, relative to the actual stock market, which is in, as I've said many times, tough shape for the companies that are high multiple stocks. All right, tonight's chartist thinks Santa Claus is coming to Wall Street and that the ideal time to buy is sometime around this Thursday. Keep that on your calendar, because we're not that far, but it sure seems like we are, right? As for myself, I'm not sure if he's right, but I t- I sure hope he is. Now, there's much more made money ahead. I've turned in a bunch of homework stocks recently, but which are real and which are duds? I'm ranking the recent names that you stumped me on. And Elon Musk turned to Twitter to see if users thought he should continue to serve as Twitter's CEO. And with the popular vote saying he should step down, what's next? I'll give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. week left of shows before the holiday break. We've got to catch up on our homework, don't we? Every night I take your call. Sometimes I can't give a considered answer. Either because I'm unfamiliar with the given stock. I mean, there have been 600 new stocks issued. I mean, holy cow. Or I need to brush up maybe on the recent history because I don't like to give you something that's just been cuffed. When I get stumped like this, I always do some digging and circle back to it because my job is to answer your questions. Regular viewers know the stocks I, I like, but there's no point in doing a show if I don't address the stocks that you like. With that in mind, tonight we're going to our last homework assignment of the year, assuming you don't get stumped again this week. So I want to go over this last item and then give you a roundup of all the undiscovered stocks that I've highlighted in recent weeks, some of which are very good. 
Others are less good, though, which brings me to Lightwave Logic. That's LWLG for you home gamers. Tom in California asked me about this one last Thursday, and that, because I didn't know it offhand, I said I'll get back to him. Now, Lightwave makes specialty chemicals for the fiber optic industry. Basically, they're developing materials that can make for better optical equipment. Who doesn't want that? Emphasis on developing, though. I'm not an expert on telco equipment, but the idea is they're working on polymer-based modulators that can potentially make the Internet run much faster. According to CEO Michael Levy, Lightwave's modulators can offer three to four times the spread of traditional semiconductor-based modulators at 10% of the power consumption. And you know what? If they can deliver on that technology, it could eventually be a huge source of revenue. But that's a mighty big if for, if for a company that's currently more of a business plan than a business. See, the problem with Lightwave Logic is that it's a development stage company in a market that places very little value these days on long-term visions. This is what I call conceptual stock. And the conceptual stocks went out of style over a year ago. Maybe the technology works. Maybe it doesn't. Either way, when the Fed's raising rates, there's no room in your portfolio for something like Lightwave. Remember, this is a market that values earnings, puts a much lower premium on sales, and it doesn't want to hear about anything else. But when you look at the financials for Lightwave Logic, what do you see? Absolutely nothing. No earnings, no sales. They've never actually sold anything. The one thing Lightwave has going for is clean balance sheet and very low cash burn rate. Uh, they finance their business by issuing new stock, although that's gotten more expensive for shareholders as the stock price has been clobbered this year. This was in the mid-teens in early January, and now it's at five bucks and change. And let me tell you something. That's been a hideous run. I'm surprised that the caller was, didn't just sell it before the call. Now, Lightwave's $25 million in cash equivalents, according to management. That's enough to fund their operations from March of 24, although I wouldn't surprise me if it didn't quite, doesn't quite last that long. Again, I'm not saying Lightwave's a bad company. I'm not disparaging their technology. It could be fabulous. For all I know, it's revolutionary. But even if that's the case, this stock represents everything that this market currently hates. And I've got to factor that in. The thing is, at the end of 2020, Lightwave was a $90 million business, way too small for us to talk about on air. But since then, the stock soared. Why? Well, in part, management's gotten a lot more promotional. I don't like that either. Issuing tons of press releases and appearing at lots of conferences. At the same time, Lightwave's attracted a very loyal following of mostly individual investors. It's not quite GameStop or AMC, but these people are very dedicated. And I'm probably now very angry about what I said. All right, thanks to that new following, Lightwave migrated from the pink sheets to the NASDAQ a little over a year ago. Then it got out of the Russell 3000 earlier this year. Personally, I think it's way too speculative for this environment. Frankly, this company's been around for over 30 years. Maybe their efforts will eventually pay off. But I can't help but wonder if this technology is so good, how come nobody's using it? I'd love it if Lightwave can prove me wrong. But for now, I'm going to have to say avoid Lightwave. Now, if you want to buy a relatively under-the-radar stock, we've highlighted 10 of them over the last couple of months, and some of these are pretty darn attractive. At the end of November, we, t- we covered this company called DICOM, an engineering construction firm focused on telco infrastructure. If you want a fiber optic play, I would much prefer DICOM to Lightwave. I see this company benefiting enormously from all the rural broadband spending and the infrastructure bill that should really start kicking in next year. Or if you want more of a traditional telco equipment play, there's a company called Clearfield, another homework item that we covered last week. Clearfield is basically what the Lightwave Logic Bulls hope it can eventually turn into, a company that toils 
in the telco equipment industry for years before finally having a big breakout moment. But Clearfield's already there with rapid revenue growth and real earnings. In fact, they're making so much money that the stock remains cheap, even after roaring higher over the past couple years. I told you I like this one at 105 Wednesday, thanks to the market-wide meltdown. You can now get it in $94. Look, I think it's a steal, but I recognize that it is just a terrible, terrible market. And, uh, and maybe, I don't think for some time, but at least till Thursday. Beyond fiber optics, we had a question about Ryan Specialty last month. This is a service uh, provider to the insurance industry, one of the few continuing winners from the IPO class of 2021. I told you it was a buy on November 16. The stock had just been clobbered in the wake of a not-so-hot quarter. Since then, it's rallied a quick 20% in a little over a month, and uh, I think it's got more room to run. There's one last homework item I'm willing to recommend buying, and this is a very inexpensive stock that I, uh, well, we covered it a couple weeks ago. It's called Super Microcomputer. These guys make server equipment, filling up data centers all over the place. I gave you my blessing to put on a small position when it was at 86, and since then it's pulled back to 78. And I think you're going to add a little bit more right here. Notice I said a little bit more because I really don't want anyone to put a lot of money to work right here. Looking at every other homework name we covered in the last two months, Fulton Genetics, Americo, uh, Anavex Life Sciences, Sunrun, and Soterra Health. They're all either in the don't buy category or the sell, sell, sell category. And I put lightweight logic at the very bottom of the list. But here's the bottom line. If you want a relatively unknown uh, telco infrastructure play, I'd much rather have you go with Dicom Industries or Clearfield. Lightwave logic might have an interesting story, but that's all there is to it. I'd much rather buy something that you know makes money. And remember, we're thinking Thursday might be the best buy point, but nothing aggressive, please. Made money's back into the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dance the lightning round. We're going to start with Mark in New York. Jim. Mark. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Giving you a big Long Island City booyah. I love it, Long Island City booyah. It's like home. What's up? My wife and I love your show, and uh, we Thank just you. got married in May. We want to know about our thoughts, your thoughts on DraftKings. It's under 12. And it's well, first of all, congratulations and best wishes to you. DraftKings reminds me, of when I was going over with John Stark, the guy that used to be the head of the enforcement guy of the SEC, I was making that joke that, yes, I'd rather have my money kept in my DraftKings account than I would be in a lot of these uh, you know, these crypto accounts. And I'm going to reiterate that I feel safer in my DraftKings than I do in a crypto. That said, I gambling, not yet, but that stock is very inexpensive. Let's go to Alex in Oregon. Alex. Booyah, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. I'm looking to of go course. long on a company that should benefit from the infrastructure money as well as the IRA Act. I'm looking at a company called AIT, Applied Industrial Technology. Thank you. It would do that. It would do that. The stock has had quite a run. Most people are not interested in stocks that are up this much. I think it could be some profit taking, but you're absolutely right because it's about it's hydraulic power. It's, it's all the look. It's a it's like a mosaic for all the things that we need in the bills. But that said, it's up 20 percent, and that might be too much for the year. Let's go to Jenica in Washington. Jenica. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, sure, Jenica. What's up? Oh, um, well, I've been watching. I'm an investing club member, and um, I've oh, been watching you. your show since my dad introduced you about 15 years ago. 
Um, wow, what? I know semiconductors aren't very. Go, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. I know semiconductors aren't very popular right now, but no. I'm wondering when's a good time to lower my cost basis on applied materials. Well, you know what, Micron uh, MU reports this week. Okay, and I think let's see, Micron reports on the 21st. So why don't you wait and see what Micron has to say? I doubt the stock's going to run away before that. And then if they say good things, then we'll be able to buy some more applied materials right around here. Believe me, it's not going to run. I think we have to wait and see what Micron says, though, because they are the big daddy when it comes to that kind of semi. Let's go to Miles in Florida. Miles! Good evening and a big beach boy. Merry Christmas. Booyah from Southwest Florida. Holy cow, you can't beat that kind of thing, can you? Appreciate What's all that you and your staff do for everybody. Uh, My staff is unbelievable. They are. Uh, stock in question, MCB, M&T Bank. Are there better Very days? Very expensive uh, stock is falling them? apart. It's falling apart. And, and you know what? It, for no particular reason, it's a very, very well-run stock. By the way, located in Buffalo, and I'm telling you that Josh Allen, I have to play against him next week in fantasy. That's not going to be easy. I wish the best of luck to, J- to Jalen Hurts, by the way. I hope he gets better as soon as possible. And let's go to uh, Mike in Connecticut. Mike, my bike. Hey, hey, Jimbo. A big uh, holiday and Merry Christmas booyah to you. Thank you for that. Right back at you. What's going on? Um, I've been accumulating star bulk carriers, and I just got my 24% dividend. And I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with this company. All the numbers look well, good. Because the, the, good it's be- well, it's because they do a lot of shipping between here and China, and the rates keep going down. And that's why that's why I've been against these stocks. I mean, maybe at this level, but I have not been in favor of the carriers. I'm not going to change my mind. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, ideas for the future of Twitter and the self-evident case for why it deserves a full-time CEO. Next. Did you do your civic duty? Did you vote this morning? I know I did. I'm talking about the vote Elon Musk put up on Twitter about whether he should step down as CEO. He promised to abide by the results, so I guess he'll be gone soon enough. Honestly, it's a sign of just how horrible this market is. The Tesla stock did roar in the news. I'm a big fan of the stock, and I believe in Musk's leadership, which is precisely why I think the stock would be better if Musk spent more time there. Plus, you have to hope that he might stop selling Tesla shares to fund Twitter if somehow he's maybe because he steps down as CEO. With Twitter's balance sheet, he's wasted his time trying to turn it around in his current form. Now, that's a big reason I voted for Musk to step away from Twitter. But beyond that, I also thought it might actually help stabilize Twitter itself. Yes, he's a heavy user, so am I. But apparently it's not not the quality you need to become the CEO of a social network. There are a lot of ways you can improve Twitter, but first that means transcending the current Twitter. Maybe it could be the ultimate customer relations tool because it lets you spot where there's demand for something, allowing you to pivot and spend resources reaching that area. Terrific ways for business to monitor their potential customers, right? Potential ones. I like the direct message feature very much. And I was always hoping it could be tied into my bank account. Right now, you have to check with your bank whenever you make a really sizable purchase, especially overseas. Otherwise, they think your card's stolen. And then there's fraud protection people kick in. Oh, I mean, like when they kick in, I mean, it's like 
I'd love to be able to just DM my bank and make those purchases seamless so they know it's me. I'd certainly pay decent money for that feature. In a world where gambling is very popular, Twitter does nothing to make it easier to connect with the best betting-related services. It doesn't rate them. It doesn't promote them. It could very easily have a pay-to-play function where Twitter measures who's best and then features them, especially for fantasy football. They shouldn't abdicate. They shouldn't say it's not our job. It could be their job. They could also do some kind of tie-in for intricate advice with paid sports sites. The gambling uses are gigantic on their own. But let's think about this. Musk seems more interested in getting into the nitty-gritty of Twitter as it currently exists rather than finding ways to transform it into something better. And these are things, they're sideshows for him. What does he know about gambling? Every promoter, of, I bet you he doesn't even know what the line is. Every promoter of a new product could get 10 free promotions, right? After that, Twitter takes a share of the proceeds of what you're promoting. I also think a time with Etsy and Shopify could help any small business get big via Twitter, and Twitter gets a piece of the action. Finally, I want Twitter to be involved in the stock market. I think it would be an ideal place for sophisticated investors, sophisticated, to go back and forth about stocks with onlookers who would pay to see the debate. It would be so much easier to find amateurs who can go pro and get money to run with Twitter again, be a partner. Of course, they need to crack down on the pump and dump. I do not like that. I do not like we have to stop that, okay? Because that is completely against the law. At least the SEC is already taking action there. It's much needed. There are These are all big transformative moves. And to pull that kind of thing off, you need a full-time CEO at the helm. But for most of Twitter's existence, it's only had a part-time chief executive. It's time for someone dynamic with a proven track record to run Twitter and only Twitter. That's the only way this becomes a successful business. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.